0: All right, this morning we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes 7, uh, particularly 1 through 14. Well, this is the first part of 1 through 14. When I started studying, I intended to get all the way through 1 through 14, but I got to 5. So next week, hopefully, we'll get to 14. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 1 through 14. It says, a good name is better than a good ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. And this too is futility. For oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom along with an inheritance is good, and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection just as money is protection, but the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the day of prosperity, be happy, but in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. Well, that's our text this morning. And this morning we're going to be looking at this first half of Ecclesiastes, and this first half, this first portion of of chapter 7 is somewhat unlike other parts of the book that we've already, already looked at. Uh, it's It consists more of these almost like these one liners these these wise sayings these these proverbs instead of being an examination of of life or or describing a, a pursuit under the sun, but that 's not to say that it 's disjointed it 's not disjointed it just may seem that way, uh, as I said, this really is a a collection of of proverbial sayings that intends to teach the person how to live a good life how to live a better life and that is its common goal how can we live a better life now this better life is compared to what we've looked at all through Ecclesiastes we've seen terrible ways of living terrible pursuits that, that man follow You know, whether it's money or Or fame or glory any of these things that are under the Sun these are horrible pursuits because they can't fulfill the man right but here we're given some wise sayings, some sayings to to live by this better life is compared to those things those pursuits of of men and by using these proverbial sayings Solomon intends to really reorient our thinking he's bringing us back to what's important in life which he often does and he focuses on topics in which he's already discussed but he talks about them from a good perspective now one example of this we're going to see in, is in the first verse which we'll look at in just a moment he talks about the importance of having a good name now when he's examined all of these other worldviews and all these uh, vain uh, pursuits in life, he never mentions someone seeking a good name. Right, they're seeking their own self-interest. But he says that we need to have a good name, and we're going to look at that. But there's also some challenging parts uh, in this block of text that we're going to look at. He says sorrow is is better than laughter, and it is better to be in the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Now, on face value, those seem somewhat paradoxical or hard to understand. So we're going to look at those, and we're going to figure out what he means by that. It's important to remember that Ecclesiastes, this whole study, is on wisdom. This is wisdom literature. It's it's meant to impart wisdom to the reader. We're supposed to be more wise by studying this book. And each of these sayings perplexing or not, is meant to make us wise. It's meant to teach us how we are to live in God's world, especially as God's people. So taking the time to understand these these sayings, how to to live a life that is fulfilling and that is pleasing to God is a great pursuit. I mean, we do want to please our Lord with our study of His Word and with The way that we live our lives here on earth and solomon really sets forth here in this in this portion of scripture how we can live a pleasing life or a a fulfilling life so looking here at verse one he begins a good name is better than a good ointment now if you recall last week we looked at the miser and this miser did everything that he could to store up riches that was his Only pursuit in life. And he he had all of these blessings from God. He had riches. He had children. He had a long life. He had all these things. And yet, Scripture says, Solomon says, that he couldn't enjoy them because of his pursuit of money, that he was so consumed by this pursuit to to make much of himself and to store up riches that he could not enjoy the riches that he had. He couldn't eat from what he had. And he was really miserable. I mean, miser, miserable, it's got the same word in it, that he he was really a miserable person. He couldn't enjoy what God had given him. And that was a curse to him, that the very blessings that God gave him were actually a curse to him. And it it was even to the point that he couldn't have a proper burial. Now, he had money, he had kids, he had everything, and no one took consideration to even give him a proper burial and that's really we looked at because of his coveting ways that he had developed a bad name he developed a bad reputation among the people uh, that he was around among his children that he had a bad name he was not well favored he was not looked upon as being a, a good guy so no one wanted to give him a proper burial so Solomon begins here by saying it's important to have a good name and that is true what does it mean to have a good name? Anyone? What does it mean to have a good name? Reputation. reputation. Having a good name really is the same thing as having a good reputation, that you need to have a good reputation. What, when people think of you, what comes to mind? What, what comes to their mind when they think of you? We should greatly consider that question, and that should be a weighty question to us. What do people actually think of us? Do people see us as someone who's honorable? Or someone who, do, do we keep our word when we say we're going to do something? Are we responsible? Are we caring? Are you known as someone who, who really cares and who really uh, does what you say you're going to do? These, these are important questions, and these are very weighty questions, and this is what Solomon puts before us this morning. And in the case of the man that we looked at last week, the miser, he was known for his love of money. Now, that's not a good reputation, being a lover of money. It implies something of his character, that he, that he loves money. It, it's a character issue. And it really says that it's a deficient character issue, that his, his love of money is a character flaw. But think about it for a moment. How many things in life are affected by having a good name or a good reputation? All kinds of things. How about this? Your ability to gain or keep a job. Does your reputation matter when you're filling out an application for a job? If you apply uh, for a job as, as a bank vault security guard, but you have a reputation of stealing money, are you gonna get that job? You're not gonna get that job. <laughs> reputation matters, and it matters greatly. Or how about this, if you're, if you're a gossip, how successful will you be at a, in a counseling profession? No one's gonna come to you, or as an elder. If you're a gossip, you can't be an elder because People tell you things, and you need to be able to not tell others. So a good reputation really matters. Now having a good name even affects your friendship with others. And this one's important. If you aren't a person who keeps your word, or, or if you're known by your ornery ways, do you think that you're going to gain more friends? Or do you think that you're going to be able to keep the ones that you have, No, and friends are a blessing. And most likely, if you do have friends, if this is you, if you do have friends, they're going to be known for the same things that you're known for, that is bad reputation. They're not going to have a good name because you don't have a good name. And this this is something that Solomon puts forth. This is the very beginning, the very first thing that he puts forth in having a good life here on earth, that you need to have a good name, you need to... Be of good reputation and there are so many things in life that really depend upon having a good name it's because of this that Solomon wrote in Proverbs 22:1. he says a good name is to be more desired than great wealth favor is better than silver and gold now think about how many people pursue riches and, and we've looked at this throughout Ecclesiastes how many people really pursue riches and we know all kinds of people who do that And yet, they care very little about their reputation, about their good name. They care very little, as we looked at last week with Mr. Potter in It's a Wonderful Life. He didn't care about his reputation. He cared about his financial gain. But here, Solomon suggests that pursuing a good name, a good reputation, is better than desiring a great wealth. That is to say, that having a good reputation is better than all the riches on earth. That's important. Uh, back in Ecclesiastes here, Solomon says that it's better than good ointment. Now, in the, in the days of, of Solomon, ointments were very expensive, and they were widespread. There were ointments, you could buy all kinds of ointments, but they were very expensive because they had a widespread use and because they were highly desired. Now, think about it, people, people bathed less frequently back then, and they had less clothes, combine that with being in a hot region of the world you can grasp why ointment or perfumes were greatly desired it's not it's not that big of a mystery but much more should we be concerned with having a good name or a good reputation than ointment and this was my conclusion that you know you don't want to stink in the hot sun but even more so you don't want to have a stinky reputation you want to have a good reputation and that's important, then, all the ointments in the world, all the riches in the world. And this is really important. And he continues that, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Now, some think that Solomon was being somewhat cynical here. And you can kind of see that because he's already said certain phrases like, it's better to have not been born than to be born and live under the curse so some people think he's being cynical here, but I don't think that's exactly what's happening. Because in light of the context, he's talking about how we can live a better life. And I think what he intends to, to express is that the day of one's death is better because it is the day that we're completely delivered from life under the sun. It is the, the, the final day that we will be under or suffer under the curse. And as I mentioned in my sermon last week, that it's, you know, the, that day being with Christ is the, the crowning consummation. It is the, the, the finished application of salvation to us. And I think that's what he's really expressing here, that, that the curse of, of sin and death that we wrestle with during this time on earth will be gone. It will be done. To die is gain, said the Apostle Paul, because to depart is to be with Christ. That is a great gain. He even said that it is far better to be with Christ. Now, when a man is born, he is an heir to Adam, that he receives what Adam wrought. He received what Adam earned. But when a man is born again, he is born an heir of God. And he receives what Christ has gained. When a man dies, he sees that crowning consummation. He sees that completed work in us, applied to us. And that what God has started in us will come to completion. And I think that's what he's getting at here. He's saying, you need to have a good reputation. And that reputation needs to stay with you throughout all of life. But then, when you die, you will no longer be under this curse, under the sun, and you will be with Christ. Well, looking at, at verse 2, he says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the, day of every, that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Now, here's one of the, the tougher ones that, uh, that I looked at. Solomon tells us to enjoy the things of the earth, doesn't he? He tells us to enjoy God's providence, to, to love what God has given us, and to, to take joy in the, the labors of our hands, for everything that we have is from God. Everything is given to us by God's providence, so we should eat and drink, and we should enjoy His good providence. But here the, the house of, of feasting is different than the general enjoyment of what God has given us. The, t- the house of feasting here, it's, it really is a time of carefree enjoyment, and with really a disregard to the truth of the reality of life. It's not just enjoying what God has given you, but it is like a disregard of the reality of life and really a disregard of, of the giver of the gifts. So this house of feasting is a time of carefree enjoyment and the house of mourning references a funeral, something that's sad. It is a time of sadness because it is a time of uh, the passing of a loved one. And Solomon says here that it is better to go to the funeral than to the party. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Why is it better to go to a funeral than to a party. We don't think that way. And we certainly know from experience that, that this seems strange, that this seems abnormal, both in our lives and, and by looking at those around us, that, that there is a great dread of death. Now, I think there's a distinction to be made here. Because Christians have a sure and living hope. Christians have a sure and living hope. And there is no fear of being dead because Christians pass from life to life. When a Christian dies on this earth, he lives. And and that's, that's the testimony of Scripture. We go from life to life, and we experience momentary death. So we need to make sure we understand that, but... It's quite another thing to deal with the process of dying or to to be confronted with the reality of it, even as Christians. And this can be hard. I, I remember hearing uh, Dr. Sproul talk about this once before. He, he It was when he was starting to get sick and someone asked him, how much uh, has it helped you that, you know, he, he wrote a book on, on suffering. How much... Have what you, has what you written helped you in, in this time of suffering? And he was like, well, it's somewhat fascinating because uh, I didn't expect to suffer uh, quite the way I'm suffering. And he said, I, I, I'm not afraid of, of death. I'm afraid of dying. That, that pain of dying is, is quite severe, and I quite understand what he means by that. But men don't like to come face-to-face with death. They really don't. We... We want to shun everything that has to do with, with death. So what are we to think about this, about living, living this life and being confronted with death or, or being in the house of, of, of mourning or a house of, of feasting? Is it wrong to go to either? Either. Is it wrong to to enjoy what God has given you? It's not wrong to enjoy what God has given you. Our Lord Jesus attended both festivities and funerals. He changed water to wine at a marriage feast, and he also wept over the death of Lazarus. However, Solomon says here that there is great value in going to a funeral. Why? Well, he says because it is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. Man is confronted with his mortality, that he will die. That's the reality of going to a funeral. It is almost like a mirror in some ways. You will die, and this is the reality. And we've done so much to try to to put that out of our minds, that death is real and that we will die. So Solomon here says that it is better to go to the house of mourning because it almost wakes a person up from his slumber. And, and it really is the rule and not the exception that when man is confronted by death, he often thinks of eternity. Now, that doesn't mean he will repent and believe in Christ, but there is that, that moment where he realizes this isn't right and this is my lot. Now, will he get that from festivity? If all he's doing is enjoying life and partying, will, will he feel that, that sense of reality? He will not. But attending a funeral, he will. He will greatly feel it. Now Charles Bridges says that what better lesson can be learned here? If anything will set the thoughtless to think, this will be it. So, so Charles Bridges is saying the thoughtless man who thinks of who thinks not of eternity who who doesn't think of these things at all if there is one thing that will make the thoughtless think it is this and that is being confronted with the reality of death that it will shake him to the core now the living is confronted with the reality of mortality and this often awakes their thoughts of what is to come and that is what Solomon is getting at here and it's what Charles Bridges is getting at that this is like a an earthquake to the soul that that it arouses the knowledge the trueness of reality that we will die looking at verse 3 Solomon says sorrow is better than laughter for when a face is sad a heart may be happy now here's another one that is somewhat of a paradox for us to consider but if you think about it, it really isn't as paradoxical as it, as it may seem at first. Thinking of sorrow. Why do we experience sorrow? We don't like it, but why do we experience sorrow? We know, of course, the reason that we experience sorrow is because we live life under the sun, and that's what Solomon's been talking about. We live in the fall. There was no sorrow before the fall, but there is sorrow now. But the need for sorrow in this life is mostly not, not thought of because just as death brings forth the reality of mortality, sorrow awakens a man to the, the reality of the fall and the, really the insufficiency of our pursuits on this earth that make us joyful. If the things of this earth could, make us, could truly give us joy and make us happy, why do we have sorrow? Because they can't. Now in the second part of Pilgrim's Progress, Christian's wife, Christiana, sets out on her pilgrimage to discover the celestial city, to to follow after her dear Christian. And she was brought to remembrance that the bitter is before the sweet, and that bitterness will make what is sweet even sweeter. I love that phrase. It is so true. And this really is the principle at hand here in in verse 4, that though weeping may tarry for a night, joy comes in the morning. Uh, Charles Bridges again says of both sorrow and the the house of mourning, which we looked at in verse 3, that they are the wise man's school. Sorrow and the house of mourning is the school for the wise man. That is where the wise man... Becomes wise. It is in this school of the house of mourning where sorrow dwells and that the wise learns the source of, of joy and contentment. If there was no sorrow, how would we know that we need joy and contentment? We can't know that. If all there is to life is just festivities and, and there is no remembrance of the reality of death, how will we know that we need a Savior? Now, this, this type of sadness isn't necessarily a hopeless dread, nor is it meaningless when we experience sorrow or we're in the house of, of mourning. It is not a, a hopeless dread for the Christian. It is really a, a sadness, of course, but it does improve the heart, and it prepares a man for the celestial city. It is looking beyond the things of this earth, looking toward the king of the celestial city. And it it really is a, a sad reality that so many think so little about sorrow and death. This is something, especially in our society, that we completely shun. We try to get it out of our minds, and really, our, our society now, this, this time in history, is quite unlike so many other periods of history. Throughout history, men were confronted with death all the time. The more I read of the Reformers, or of the, the Puritans, or so many that came before us in church history, the more I realize that I have very, very few sorrows. I have very very few things to truly be sorrowful about or to pity myself for many of them many of the reformers had multiple wives because they had to keep burying them they had to bury multiple children and this was a a painful lot that they that they suffered with and it it was a grievous weight to them I mean you just think about just empathy think how horrendous that would be and this wasn't something that was the exception. This happened all the time. There were people that they, that they knew just the day before. They were friends with or whatever, and the next day they die. And it was the, the reality, and it wasn't something that could truly be hidden. It was up front. Death was a, a reality, and it made those men think of eternal things. And that's one of the reasons that we have such a, a great deposit of truth, is because they were confronted with this. But what about us? In our day, we shun those thoughts. We're berated with entertainment and distractions that keep our minds preoccupied of of the truth of the matter, the reality that we will die. And we think very little of this topic of, of life and death and what comes after. We're told to flee our sadness that we should shun our sadness and we should do whatever we can to make ourselves happy. That is the philosophy of the day, that we pursue what makes us happy and we escape as quickly as possible from anything that that reminds us of of death. But this is unique, that, that we have so many ways to distract us from the reality of life and from thinking of the eternal things. Now, I understand that no one wants to be sad, and no one should seek to be sad. But there is spiritual profit in sorrow, that it reorients the mind and the heart to God, that it makes you think of things eternal. And it really should drive you closer to God. Now, isn't this a sweet truth, that God draws us to Him, in our worst moments the very worst moments in life those sorrows that are so deep that we can't even express them that it's at those times that God draws us to himself that we think of him and of what we are heirs to eternal life well Solomon here takes a, a negative view of, on laughter he says here that, that uh, it is better to be sorrow, sorrowful than to uh, have laughter. And that's not to say that laughter is evil. Laughter is not evil. But in this context, the way Solomon uses it, it is. It is an evil thing because it's, it's really this idea of shunning the things that are sad in this world, of, of getting rid of everything that makes you feel bad and bringing in everything that makes you feel happy. And it's really to be in denial of the reality of life. And this is the sense that Solomon uses it here. And this is why it is better to be in sorrow than it is to to be in laughter, because the sorrow reminds you of the Savior. Looking at verse 4, Solomon says, the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. Now, this one is similar to verse 2, which we looked at. He uses uh, the same phrase, the house of of mourning. And there is great wisdom in, in being in the house of mourning because it, as I said, it properly reorients the priorities of life, or at least it should. Now, I think here is another important distinction to be made in all this talk about going to the house of mourning or, or being in the house of pleasure, and the mind really being wise in the house of, of mourning. well Solomon is expressing, and this is something that we need to take note of, he's not saying that you need to have a, a morbid focus on sin and death, that is, all your thoughts shouldn't be on sin and death right, because especially as Christians, we have a Savior, we're delivered from sin and death, that indeed would not be a healthy mindset to be consumed with that, but it's, it's more about having the reminder before you of your own mortality and, and how God uses that to draw you closer to Him, and that this really is a, a reminder of what Solomon has been teaching all through Ecclesiastes, that... The pleasures of this life, the pursuit of those things, is vanity. It is passing away. It's like trying to grasp air. You try to grasp air and it just goes through your fingers, right? You can't grasp it. And, and this is the reminder. Death is the reminder that the things of this earth are transient. They're, they're meaningless if sought for one's own pleasure. It's really that, that we are a, a flower that is quickly fading. That we're here today, we're gone tomorrow. And that there is no lasting presence that we have on this earth. That our, our, earth, our time on earth is, is transient. It is but a breath. That it is fleeting. Therefore, we should look to what's eternal. That is the message of Ecclesiastes. Now he says, this is in contrast to the mind of the fool. So the the wise man considers these things. He stays in the house of mourning, but the fool stays in the house of pleasure. The wise man is oriented upon consideration of God and his word and his eternal state. The wise man sees the curse and the escape for the curse. But the fool sees none of these things he sees his earthly pleasures and the fool says to himself I will live for my own pleasures that is the ultimate foolery to live for one's pleasure it is the height of foolishness because it's just not the reality of life looking at uh, verses 5 through 6 Solomon says, it's, it's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool, and this too is futility. So here we have another principle to live by. And this is an important lesson, the ability to be correct, corrected and to receive rebuke from a man who's wise. That we ought to be a, a people who can be rebuked or re- reproofed it seems natural to us to really recoil from that now we really don't like to be rebuked we don't like to be wrong we don't like to be corrected that's why this is an important lesson a person who can receive a rebuke for his error profits much he really profits in this life why well A fool who is rebuked and takes that rebuke to heart becomes a little less foolish, doesn't he? He becomes a little more wise and a little more wise and a little more wise. He understands how he ought to live in this life and how things will generally go better for him if he is not a fool. He will become more wise and less likely to act in a foolish manner. Now, rebuke often causes grief, doesn't it? It doesn't feel great to be rebuked it is hard to receive rebuke at times why is that why is it hard to receive rebuke isn't it because it really strikes at our pride the reason that we can't take rebuke is because we're prideful because we think we know that makes it so difficult to take rebuke it really injures our pride and we can really have a, a visceral reaction when our pride is damaged. We can lash out in anger. We can call the wise man a fool and think that we're wise and we become even more foolish. But Solomon really reminds us here that it is better for us to receive a rebuke from a wise man than it is to act as a fool. Now, Proverbs nine eight, uh, speaking uh, of the reader of As the one doing the rebuking he says do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you Reprove a wise man and he will love you Now this is the principle laid out here in Ecclesiastes The one who cares more about his pride He who takes great love in his own thoughts Or thinks too highly of himself cannot be rebuked You cannot rebuke a pride a prideful man A man who is puffed up in his pride will not receive a a rebuke I can't talk this morning these words were not written by a Southerner, I tell you that. But this man is a fool. He, he scoffs at the rebuke. He says, But the wise man is the one who receives correction. He's the one who can be cor- corrected. He realizes that he's not infallible, that he doesn't have all the answers, that he can be corrected. And he can take that correction and he can learn from it. Charles Bridges says, but as many sweet things are poison, so many bitter things are medicine. And he says, let me bring home this probing point. Are the faithful wounds of a friend welcome to me? Now think about that. Think about that question. Are the faithful wounds of a friend welcome to me? Do I welcome faithful wounds from a friend? And he says, do I heartily admit his open rebuke? to be better than secret love, as Proverbs 37, 5 through 6 says. It says, do I truly value rebuke? And he concludes by asking this. This is something we should reflect on. Do you see rebuke by your Christian brother an exercise of true and Christian love? We don't think of rebuke like that, do we? We don't like to be corrected. We don't like to think of this uh, being a good thing, but... Charles Bridges brings to, to mind a good question. Do we see rebuke a true and Christian love? Is this something that is good for us? So the contrast being made by Solomon is with the fool who listens to the Song of Fools. And again, it's important to recognize this contrast. That in the first instance, you have the wise man coming to speak to you in order to rebuke you. He wants to make you wise. He wants you to stop your foolishness. But the latter, you have the Song of Fools, now the the vast majority of people find songs or music to be very pleasing uh, we We are people who love music who love songs And here it says the fool is pleased with the the song of fools that he he enjoys He would rather hear a bunch of people praising his pride than to hear wisdom And I, I love the imagery of songs it's like a bunch of people just singing out saying you're not a fool You're not a fool don't listen to this guy and he will not take correction and this is the, the contrast being made by, by Solomon. And, and he says that it's like crackling of thorn bushes under a pot. Now, I, I love this imagery. It's really good imagery. If you've ever built a fire, you know, you know, you get your wood ready, you get the kindling ready, and get it all set up, and then you light it. And then a, a great blaze comes forth from the kindling. And what do you hear? You hear the sound of crackling, right? you hear all this, all this crackling but a short time later, the crackling dies out and the wood is consumed. That It gets, it gets quiet and it starts to burn down and then you have to add more, more wood. Well, this is the same for the, the song of, of the foolish. Instead of crackling, they may be cackling, right? Or they may, be, they may be trying to puff you up. No, you're not wrong, you're not wrong. And they may make a, a great noise in puffing up the proud, but like the thorn bushes being burned, they will soon burn out, and then you will be left a fool, and the foolish will leave you. And the uses, uh, the usage of, of thorns here is brilliant because we know that thorns were introduced as part of the curse. Right, thorns is part of the curse. So he's saying the burning of thorns, this, this wickedness. That that you may hear them cry out, singing songs for the fool, but this is vanity. So in recap, here are the principles, the first part of the principles, to live a better life, one that is good and pleasing to the Lord. First, see to it that you have a good reputation. Be a person of your word, for this is more precious than Solomon's wealth. Don't be blind to the realities of the world, that you will die. Think of things eternal and pursue them. And and that that death should always reorient us to what matters most in life. Final freedom from from sin and death and, and seeing your Savior makes the sorrows of this earth light and momentary. That's how Paul uses it, light and momentary. Finally, be a man who can receive rebuke. Be a man who can be corrected. Understand that rebuke properly as an act of Christian love, as a, a wound, a faithful wound from a faithful friend. Do we have any qu- very quick questions or comments? Since I am overtime next week, but uh, there does seem to be a in the, in the secular world the wipe out the mourning of death through what we call uh, celebration of life. So I, I'm not saying that that's, that's, that's some celebration of life was passed as wrong. I'm just saying, I mean, in general, that was introduced by the world <coughs> to cover over the mourning of, the mourning of, the mourning of the reality. Of that's true. Even the, the decline of, of people going to their funeral home. Like any, anything to get away from that that view of death, you know, send loved ones off and then that's just it no. all of that is just shunning that reality and really that reminder of e- the things of eternity so, yeah. anything else? alright let's pray oh Jim's saying that I mean how many people in this day and age see the dying process? I mean, I got to see both my parents don't know Yet, how many of uh, people that are in the younger ages, like kids at home, <clears throat> see the dying process of parents, grandparents, and stuff like that? Whereas probably 50, 40, 50 years ago, they saw. It's just the thought that I'm throwing out. That's <laughs> uh, true. We, we think less and less, and we see less and less because we're so distracted by entertainment and various things that pull our minds away, so we don't think of these things. These are the realities of life, and it's meant to remind us of, again, what is eternal and point us, reorient us to the consideration of of God and his mercy and and also his justice. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, time in Ecclesiastes. We pray that you will help us to live a godly uh, life. Help us to uh, think of the things that are eternal and to pursue those things. Uh, Help us to store up the riches of of your word uh, so that we may live by them and be pleasing to you. Uh, Now we ask that you prepare our hearts for worship this morning and help us to be attentive. Help us to uh, take to heart uh, what is said from scripture.